A Brief History of the Quarterstaff by Frank Doherty. The Quarterstaff has been known by many names and throughout history has adopted them all at one time or another. Some of them are the Stave, Balkstaff, Shortstaff, Tipstaff, Cudgel, Club. The Quarterstaff was for centuries considered the weapon of the lower sections of society. Although the nobility had a healthy respect for the Quarterstaff, which they also practised, in reality, quarterstaffing as a fighting art reigned supreme in England for many centuries. The English art of quarterstaffing has throughout the many centuries gained its own individuality and traditions through the dedication of the men and women who for generations have brought this majestic weapon forward into the 21st century with the blood, sweat and tears of hard practice and hard knocks. Unfortunately, the spread and growth of quarterstaffing has been limited, often by the lack of available written information or qualified teachers. Of course, there is a wealth of information to be found in such places as the British Library, but all this information found through research in these literary institutions needs to be studied and translated from books and manuscripts, sometimes dating back to the 15th and 16th centuries. The result of this is that very few people know about or practice the art of quarter staffing today. Research into English martial arts can and is sometimes a very frustrating experience. But we have evidence from literary and archaeological sources on many of the weapons and techniques used. It is known through these sources that the English warrior and even everyday men and women used systematic training. They trained in an art probably already ancient to them, which had and has well understood combat moves that were part of a known fighting system. Literary and visual sources give many valuable clues as to weapons and techniques. Quarterstaffing is an ancient form of English stick fighting and crosses all social boundaries. It is found from earliest times throughout the Middle Ages and into the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th and 20th centuries. I might here speak of the excessive stave which divers that travel the way do carry upon their shoulders whereof some are twelve or fourteen foot long besides a pike of twelve. No man travelled by the way without his sword or some such weapon, except it be the minister, who commonly hath none at all, unless it be a dagger or hanger at his side. Description of England, William Harrison, 1534-93 to The quarterstaff was and is an extremely versatile weapon. It can be used as freely as the staffman wishes to use it. When used to strike or hit, it is like a sword or a battle axe. When used to thrust, it becomes like a spear. Strikes and thrusts can be from either side of the body. This makes it very difficult for any opponent to respond quickly to these attacks that can change so readily from side to side and from thrust to strike without pause. George Silver wrote about the quarterstaff as a reality. It was a weapon he used to fight and defend his honour with. His knowledge of English quarterstaff fighting was gained from experience. In the following extract from his book, Paradoxes of Defence, he said, The shortstaff have the vantage against two swords and daggers, or two rapiers and poignards, and gauntlets. The reason and causes before are for the most part set down already. The which being well considered, you shall plainly see that whomsoever any one of the sword and dagger men or rapier and poignard men shall break his distance, or suffer the staff man to break his, that man which did first break his distance, or suffer the distance to be won against him, is presently in danger of death, and this cannot in reason be denied. 
because the distance appertaining to the staff man, either to keep or break, standeth upon the moving of one large space, always at the most both for his offence or safety. The other two in the breach of their distance to offend the staff man have always four paces at the least therein. They fall to great in number with their feet, and too short in distance to offend the staff man. Now there resteth no more to be spoken of, but how the staff man shall behave himself to keep that distance. Silver also said, The short staff is most commonly the best weapon of all other. Although other weapons may be more offensive, and especially against many weapons together, by reason of his nimbleness and swift motions, and is not much inferior to the forest bill. Although the forest bill be more offensive, the short staff will prove the better weapon. As a battlefield weapon, the quarterstaff would be an oak or ash pole of about eight or nine feet in length. It was a foot weapon of attack and defence. In attack, it could be used for both the strike and the thrust. The pole would have been shod with iron at both ends. The weapon could be used at full range or at very close range by changing the position of the hands on the pole. For hand-to-hand combat, the quarterstaff was probably superior to the modern rifle and bayonet and probably all rifles and bayonets, whether modern or not. Now, if we were to look at two combatants armed with the quarterstaff, the staff would be about eight feet in length and the wood is smooth so that the hands can slip over it with ease. The staff fighters would be without any armour or head protection. Each would carry a dagger or short sword at his right hip, attached to a waist belt, and the fighters would regard head, collarbones, wrists, arms, knees and ankles as the most vulnerable targets. In an excerpt from the book The Land of England, by Dorothy Hartley, which was written in 1979, you can see some remnants of quarterstaff law have survived and even in this brief description you can see the practicalities of the quarterstaff. This stave or quarterstaff was the standard defence of the pedestrian for centuries. The fenmen used it to pole vault across their dikes and marshes. They retained the grip on the pole, it being horizontal distance, not height they needed. As a weapon it required skill and the training was strenuous. The heavy pole could be kept whirling in front as the man advanced so that no one could reach him through its spinning circle. The pole could also be suddenly thrust forward in a lunge capable of bursting a man's belly or be brought down from above to break his head. Dorothy Hartley, The Land of England, pages 296-7 An Englishman named Richard Peake was involved in an episode during the English-Spanish Wars and is a tale of how effective the court staff can be in trained hands. As an excerpt from Maester Terry Brown's book English Martial Arts exclaims, In the year 1625, England and Spain were at war and Peake was serving in an English naval squadron under the command of the Earl of Essex, which was attacking a Spanish naval stronghold. After heavy and accurate bombardment, the English captured the fortress, whereupon they sent forces ashore to carry the attack inland. In the wake of the English landings, sailors were sent ashore to forage for food. Richard Peake of Tavistock in Devon was among them. Unwisely, he foraged alone and paid the price for his mistake. When he was attacked by a patrol of Spanish musketeers, after a furious fight which Peake was wounded twice, he was captured and taken in chains to Calais. From there, he was transferred to Xeres, where he was put on trial, which in reality was a military interrogation with four dukes, four marquesses and four earls. After much questioning, Peake was asked if he thought that the Spanish soldiers present would prove such hens as the English when they landed in England the following year. No, replied Peake, they would prove to be pullets or chickens. Peake's insolent reply brought forth an angry response from the Spaniards. 
Tarsdale then, quoth Duke Medina with a brow half angry. Fight with one of these Spanish pullets? Pete replied that he was unworthy the name of an Englishman that should refuse to fight with one man of any nation whatsoever. At this, Pete's claims and shackles were removed and a space was created for him to fight a Spanish champion by the name of Tiago. Both were armed with rapier and poignard. The ensuing fight continued for some time before Pete, using the guard of the poignard, trapped the blade of Tiago's rapier and simultaneously swept the Spaniard's feet from under him. Pete's rapier, held to the throat of Senor Tiago, brought forth the necessary capitulation. Spanish pride had been sorely wounded and it was demanded of Pete whether he should be willing to fight another Spaniard. Pete replied in the affirmative, provided he was allowed to fight with mine own country weapon, called the quarterstaff. Upon his remark, the Spanish unscrewed the head from a halberd to create a makeshift quarterstaff. Armed with the weapon of his choice, Pete stood ready to meet his next challenger. However, the Spanish were clearly no longer so confident in the prowess of their soldiers, for, to Pete's consternation, two swordsmen stepped forward to fight him. Pete sarcastically asked if more would like to join them. The Duke of Medina asked how many he desired to fight. Any number under six, replied Pete. The Duke smiled scornfully and beckoned a third man to join the original two. Pete and the rapier men warily traversed each other, all the while thrusting and warding till finally Pete gambled on an all-out attack. His first blow left one of his adversaries dead and his subsequent blows left the other two injured and disarmed. No doubt they also left the Spanish seriously questioning the wisdom of their invasion plans. Pete's feet so impressed the Spanish captors that they released him and granted him safe conduct to England, a tale to warm the heart of every Englishman. But the realities of the quarterstaff was far more gruesome as a report from 1527 shows. On the 4th of September, John Stringer, late of Babworth, labourer assaulted Henry Pearson of Babworth with a staff worth 1D, which he held in both hands, striking him on top of the head so that his brains flowed out and giving him a wound one inch deep two inches wide and three inches long, of which he immediately died. Thus John feloniously murdered him, and immediately afterwards he fled about 9am and escaped. Robert Bramley, a man of good reputation and standing, first found Henry dead. J.C. Holt, Robin Hood, pages 170-171 Although the quarterstaff is seen as a weapon of film and television by modern society, maybe even a weapon of myth, the reality as we have just read was very different. The quarterstaff was not known as the king of weapons for nothing. If we now travel back in history to documents written between 1540 and 1590, we can see written evidence of the English maesters of defence. The officially recognised teachers were the company of maesters. These documents record the playing of prizes. The order of playing was the Free Scholars Prize, the Provost's Prize and the Maesters Prize. The playing of prizes was a very public affair, with the posting of bills declaring that a prize was to be played, which was an open invitation to any man to come along and challenge the player of the prize. The prize playing in London was held at a number of inns and playhouses, such as the Bull in Bishopsgate, Leadenhall, at the Greyfriars at Newgate and at the Tower Royal Salisbury Court. Rochester House, Bridewell Palace and at the Castle Inn in Holborn. But the preferred places for playing of prizes were the Bell Savage on Ludgate Hill and the Bull in Bishopsgate. The company of maesters were a well-organised company and made provision for aged maesters. The welfare of its practitioners, the hiring and training of qualified teachers as well as financial matters and the relationship of the company to the outside world 
Following are some of the prizes played where the quarterstaff was one of the weapons used. William Pascal played his Maester's Prize at the Leadenhall with three Maesters, that is to say, Humphrey Bassett, Robert Crook and William Hunt, at three kinds of weapon. The longsword, the backsword, the dagger and the quarterstaff. Provost Prize at the Session Hall without Newgate at three weapons, the longsword, the backsword and the quarterstaff, with three provosts, William Hunt, John A. Wood and Robert Green, played his Scholar's Prize at Estham, with 13 scholars at backsword and the quarterstaff. Richard White played his Provost Prize at the Leadenhall at the longsword, backsword and quarterstaff, with Edward Britton and John Barfit. Robert Edmonds played his Maester's Prize at the Whitehall before King Philip and Queen Mary at three kinds of weapon, longsword, backsword and quarterstaff. They played against him two Maesters, Richard White and Thomas Weaver. The art of teaching the quarterstaff was still strong in the 18th and 19th centuries and later, especially among the Boy Scouts. One fairground version of quarterstaff play was fought on a narrow plank of wood over a river or stream. The idea was to thrust rather than knock your opponent into the water. The quarterstaff also had its place in judicial combat, the defeated party being supposed as the guilty party. The quarterstaff as a weapon was as popular as ever and flourished all over London. James Figg had his famous school of defence in or near Tottenham Court Road in London. Figg was a renowned maester with a sword and quarterstaff, as well as the bare-knuckle boxing champion of England. In the 18th and 19th centuries, the quarterstaffs were generally shorter than the battlefield version. This gladiatorial weapon was about six foot in length, as the art became a gladiatorial form of combat, as well as a sport. The quarterstaff's cuts were numbered, and these amounted to seven major blows. The garden postures used to protect the staff man from the various blows were quite simple in nature. There were four guards altogether, and in the 1890s were given the labels of CD, CD Prime, AB and AB Prime. Quarterstaff players used the broadsword target in the 19th century. This is the form quarterstaffing took after many years as a sport and had degenerated from a battlefield art to a combat sport. In battlefield quarterstaffing, there are seven guards altogether. RGA Wynne, a 19th century maester at arms, and an expert with the quarterstaff's sabre and single stick, wrote in his book, Broadsword and Single Stick. The quarterstaff gets its name from the fact that it was gripped at the quarter points and the centre of the staff, with the left hand at the centre, palm upwards, and the right hand at the lower quarter point, palm down. This gives a three-foot point end, and a very useful 18-inch butt end. This may give the length of windstaff of about 6 foot. The grip was changed by releasing one hand only and swinging the staff to catch it appropriately for the next technique or strike. Wind's description of using thrust says, As regards points, it is well to lunge out as one does when making a left-handed lead-off in boxing, so as to gain somewhat in the reach. Points should be used with care in friendly bouts, are generally made with the point of the staff but may also be affected with the butt, and this is the case when the combatants have come to rather close quarters at the quarterstaff play. The men should then be started by the master of ceremonies at a distance of about 10 or 12 feet. So, as you can see, Silver, when talking about the quarterstaff, referred to it as a weapon for the defence of one's life, whereas Wynne thought it only a sport. According to C. Phillips Wally, an acknowledged expert with the quarterstaff, Sabre and Singlestick, who in 1896 wrote in the All England series, 
Handbook of Athletic Games, he urged students to learn other forms of self-defence, displaying Britain's rich martial heritage before working with the staff. If quite unacquainted with fencing, broadsword, stick play or bayonet exercise, never be tempted into a bout with a quarterstaff, as this is a game at which feeling is apt to run somewhat high occasionally. Citing that, due to the fact that although combatants are well padded and protected, incidents and quite severe injuries did occur. There have been many events that caused the near extinction of the traditional martial arts of England. The arts went into decline due to the integration into the art of war of firearms. This spelt the decline of the longbow and many close systems of combat. As we know, the English were the foremost gun makers in the West at one time. The introduction of guns began during the 14th century. The first reference to a gun is in 1326 in an illuminated manuscript made for Edward III by his chaplain. This illustrates a cannon being fired, but it is firing an arrow rather than shot or ball. The art of quarterstaffing today is undergoing a major revival. There are many groups now practicing this martial art in its many forms all over the world. Authentic English martial arts is still alive and kicking.